Hi, I'm Jake Miller, host of the Educational Duct Tape Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. Be sure to check out all of our other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in 3, 2, 1... Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast, the show where educators can come find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started. All right, my guest in this episode, Kristen Clyde Barrero joins us. Kristen is the author of a really great book, Every Student, Every Day, A No-Nonsense Nurturer Approach to Reaching All Learners. Uh, Kristen, I want to welcome you to the show. And if you could just introduce yourself to the audience, that'd be great. Hi, Dan. Yeah. Kristen Clyburrero. I am the CEO and co-founder of CT3. We're an organization that um, provides feedback to leaders, teachers, and coaches in real time. So really fun work that we get to do to and typically historically marginalized communities across the country. In fact, we work in 19 states right now. But that's what I spend my days doing, and um, Every Student Every Day is um, another way to introduce that work to a broader audience of teachers. So uh, we'll, we'll get to the work with the organization in a minute, but um, I guess if you get back up for a sec, how, how did you get there? What were your experiences like? I, I understand that you were, you know, you, you moved up the ranks, so to speak, in education, teacher, administrator on a school level, then district level, and, and now you're doing this. So uh, take us back. Sure. Um, so I started my career actually in my hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio, after I graduated from Miami of Ohio with a degree in education. Um, I came back to the school district where um, I actually went to school, Princeton City Schools, and got to teach in one of the more marginalized communities in Princeton. Um, and I loved it. And my first job, I was one of those lucky teachers. It was back when the mentoring programs had just started. Um, and Patricia Hooks Gray uh, was my first mentor teacher. Um, and here I was, a white woman serving a very diverse group of students, and Pat had grown up with her father as the president of the NAACP. And so I got this amazing um, introduction, not just to curriculum instruction and pedagogy, but how I as a white woman could really be an ally in the work of supporting historically marginalized youth in our country. And so I'm forever indebted and grateful uh, to Pat. I even write about her, my experiences, some of my early experiences with her in the book, Every Student, Every Day. Um, spent four years teaching sixth grade alongside of her. I taught the math and science. She taught the reading and social studies. And then got this amazing opportunity to go teach in California, which my husband and I um, were thinking about grad school. And thinking about grad school, um, the only place in the country that we could agree on uh, was San Francisco or the Bay Area. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, you had Stanford out there and you had Berkeley out there. So I got this amazing opportunity to go to East Palo Alto, California, which was at the time I hadn't realized, but the murder capital of the world. And um, what got hired there to be the assistant principal and an algebra teacher and soon after became the, uh, the principal of the school. And we took one of the lowest performing urban schools in California to one of the highest performing, if not the highest performing in the state of California in uh, about four years and stayed there a couple more years and then got to do a couple more turnarounds in Oakland, California. 
while I was doing my doctoral work at Berkeley. I uh, became an area superintendent for a short amount of time. And while I was in my last principalship and in that area superintendency, um, really recognized that as a growing organization of supporting uh, turnaround schools and, his, and really working and focusing in historically marginalized communities, um, that we couldn't hire outlier teachers, um, which is what I had done in all of my previous schools. I had amazing teaching staffs, but I had this um, both the gut and other teachers around me that we did a great job of hiring. And I wasn't hiring 50 teachers anymore. I was hiring three, 400, you know, for groups of schools. And so what I recognized was as an organization, we did a great job of preparing teachers after their um, teacher prep programs for going into the classroom and, and around their instructional strategies and pedagogy oftentimes, but not when it came to how to build relationships with students and classroom management and classroom culture. And we were really missing the mark. So I w- and brought in all kinds of experts from Lee Cantor to the Wongs to, you know, PBIS and Jeff Sprague and all kinds of folks. And it didn't work for all of our students or all of our teachers. So now with this research background from Berkeley, got a grant and went out and started researching it. Started in California and then took the work um, to Memphis and New, New Orleans um, New York City, uh, Chicago, and really codified what were the highest performing teachers around the country doing to build these amazing relationships with kids and really set up classroom cultures. And the kids actually named the term no-nonsense nurturer when we were interviewing kids um, about these high-performing teachers. They talked about the warm and the demanding, the no-nonsense and the nurturing of their teachers. And so the kids really named the body of work. So okay, took that so- body of Oh, sorry. No, no, no. That's it's great. I I don't mean to cut you off, but I guess that's what I wanted to ask you about, and that's what I think you were you were leading into. Then, like, what is a no nonsense nurturer? How not only how did the students sort of coin that phrase, but um, what does it what does it mean for an educator to kind of live up to that that title? It's a great question. Um, I, I get asked the question a lot of, can no-nonsense nurturers only be like these young teachers without families and, you know, that, that work 18-hour days? And the answer is no. Um, as a teacher, we're really working in a, in, a, in a space where it's an apprenticeship model. And what I say, what I mean by that is we get to work alongside and get feedback from other great teachers or other great educators, because that can be from our coaches or our principals um, or our colleagues um, we grow every year in our practice. And the, and the minute we stop growing in our practice is honestly the year that we should retire, in my opinion. Um, and so the first couple of years, yeah, you work long hours and long days because you're figuring out your craft in order to meet the highly diverse needs of your students. But what we saw a lot of these no-nonsense nurture teachers, which were, again, these teachers that had really high expectations for their students, had no excuses for themselves, saw their students always in an asset-based approach, work from their students' strengths. And frankly, these teachers often did have favorites in their classrooms. And the favorite students in their classrooms were those kids that would otherwise um, fall through the nets of our education system. They needed more from their teachers. And those teachers like really took those kids under their wing, which didn't only help that student, but it supported the whole culture of the class. Um, they set their high expectations through um, giving really precise directions narrating, noticing what students were doing after directions were given to really create a positive momentum 
a thoughtful environment. And then they had accountability systems where kids were held to a high expectation. And if they didn't meet those expectations, there were consequences. But consequences. All right, I got to ask you. Very transparent. Sure. Go ahead. I got to ask you this. Yeah. And you alluded to uh, a few minutes ago your doctoral work and, and some research that you've done. I am super curious because, long story short, my research is, and, and I'm about to enter into the research phase of my candidacy and my dissertation process. But um, what I'm looking to do is to research how school-based administrators use transformational leadership practices to inspire a growth mindset in classroom teachers. And so here's my question, and and maybe this will actually help me with my research a little bit. A no-nonsense nurturer, right? That term to me means that some educators do it, but not everyone does it or not everyone falls into that that category. And so I guess my question is, in your own research and in your experience as both an educator, including being an administrator and now uh, a consultant or whatever, or a coach, I should say, is probably a better way to put it. Why are some teachers uh, better equipped to be these no-nonsense nurturers? And what is it that uh, that they possess in terms of their mindset that maybe other teachers don't have or don't have yet? <laughs> so uh, full transparency, my first four years of teaching, um, I had this fabulous mentor and by all means, you know, I think anyone you would have asked in my district, I was a, I was a high performing teacher. My students did well. Um, some of them did better than they had ever done, but I was not yet a no-nonsense nurturer. Um, our university systems don't prepare our teachers quite yet uh, for minute one, day one in the classrooms. And teachers either figure it out or they seek it out, right? So when I refer to the outliers that we studied, many of these teachers figured it out through trial and error and were almost always in like this um, action research project on how to build high quality, life-altering relationships with kids, what was getting them there? What kind of humility did they have to bring to the table? What questions work? What questions didn't work? Well, why should we all have to figure that out? Um, and so my whole point was in trying to solve a problem in the organization that I was working for and the teachers that I was responsible for um, was I didn't want folks to have to figure it out. I wanted to be able to support, you know, to support them, to train them on best practices, to bring transparency to that, to coach, give feedback to create a common language so that we were all operating from the same playbook. So that's where that research came from was why should we all have to figure it out on our own? And this is something that is the, the pink elephant in the room in education right now is the reason why many educators struggle in certain classrooms and not in others is because we don't think about the cultural relevancy, the cultural competency, the cultural conflicts that sometimes exist in classrooms between teachers and students. And those don't have to exist if we support teachers on how to ask questions, how to build relationships, how to capitalize on the assets their students bring to the classroom, because the kids are experts of their own culture and community, but we have to ask the right questions and engage in the right uh, conversations for those truly life-altering relationships to form. Like many cultural race theorists will note is that kids have to know you care before they care to learn from you. So, and that's something that's missing. It's not the 1950s and it's not Catholic schools anymore in our public school system. 
Kids don't come to school ready to just respect you. Respect is something that is earned in the classroom by a teacher. And respect is something that students expect teachers to earn anymore. And that we have to give back to students. We have to respect them um, because they're learning at rates that I certainly know when I was in school, I didn't learn at the same rates that kids do with all the information that's flooding them. So no-nonsense nurtures is achievable by anyone who has the will to, to learn and uh, be so in support of students. Well, I love that to- you said that because, again, I think that gets back to the point of having a growth mindset, right? You said uh, use the word will if you have the will. Uh, and to, I guess, combine those terms, if you have the will to grow, uh, then you'll want to improve your own practices as an educator to then in turn hopefully inspire and improve your students. And I guess what I wanted to ask you about is, of course, there's no silver bullet. Uh, There's maybe not one thing that any one teacher can do to all of a sudden become a no-nonsense nurturer. And and I think one of the things that you said was um, some teachers at least try to do that through that action research, but maybe that's not quite it for everyone. Um, There's, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a four-step model to mm-hmm. kind of becoming a no sense, a no nonsense nurturer, can you explain that a little bit? It's a tongue twister. We were talking about that a little bit before. Um, when you know you start off the school year, so relationships take time. It's no different in a classroom, right? Relationships take time. So the first three steps of the model are ultimately to achieve the fourth step of the model, which is what everything is grounded in being a no nonsense nurturer, which are the life altering relationships. And let me explain what a life-altering relationship is with a story. Um, A life-altering relationship are when students are looking back on graduation day and the valedictorian is giving their speech or that guest speaker or the superintendent, whomever it is, and the kids start reflecting. The young people start reflecting on who were the teachers that impacted me the most. And that's the no-nonsense nurturer. That's the life-altering relationships. You've made a difference not only in who that student is as a young scholar or young academic, but who they are as a person. And everyone can achieve this, but it takes time to build those kinds of relationships. And so we start off the school year with really clear policies, routines, and procedures. How do you build those? Precise directions. And we're not taught how to give precise directions. One of the reasons why I happen to be good at it is because I got to teach kindergarten for a year. And if you teach kindergarten, you know (laughs) that you have to give very precise directions or 24 bodies are going in 24 different directions. But no-nonsense nurturers at the middle school and high school level understand that if I'm clear about the voice, participation, and the movement in my classroom, I'm going to eliminate almost all of um, the misguided behaviors that I'm not expecting in my classroom. But precise directions also give kids almost the GPS coordinates of what success looks like and feels like in the classroom. So you're setting kids up for success, therefore pushing on and supporting a growth mindset. Then you notice what students are doing that is supportive of the classroom environment. So just narrating, noticing without praise, just noticing who's, who's adhering to what the expectations are and who's moving in that direction. Accountability systems become incredibly important We're with incentive systems that are collective to build community in our classrooms, but consequences that are, I care too much about you to let you distract from your learning and your peers' learning. So consequences that are clear, expected, but also are done with a sense of care and not punitive for students. When our parents hold us to high expectations and, you know, sometimes have to hold, hold us to a consequence, we don't feel like they're not, they're not doing it because 
they hate us. We feel like they're doing it because they love us, but it's the way a parent does that. Teachers can do that in the same way. I care too much about you to let you fail. Therefore, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to spend some time together. We're going to unpack what, what just happened in the classroom. All of this to lead eventually to those life-altering relationships where you want to engage with kids before and after school. Not for long periods of time, because again, it can't be an 18-hour day, but you're really thoughtful about how you're using every minute of the school day that isn't instructional time to build relationships with kids. And even being thoughtful about how I can use instructional time to build relationships with youth. And also being thoughtful about, in the book, I, I do, I think, a pretty good job. I've gotten good feedback around how to structure the amount of time you're, you're spending with different um, needs of students and different types of students in your classroom. So being really thoughtful about how you're creating a hierarchy, even for your relationship building, and lesson planning for relationship building within your classroom. Because time is of the essence for all of us. It's our most important commodity. So you know, just really pulling back that veil of what are these great teachers doing? It's a codification of those practices. And that's what every student every day really helps to support and relate to teachers. Um, and what I think is a pretty readable, uh, pretty readable book. I think it would take folks four to eight hours to read. And there's a lot of activities at the end of each of the um, chapters that you can implement during the school year or even be thoughtful about um, during your summer reading to start planning for your classroom experiences and the, and the experiences that you want to share and create and support for the young people that you serve every day. The Leader of Learning Podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. The Education Podcast Network, podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. For more great podcasts, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. The Leader of Learning Podcast is also a proud member of Voice Ed Radio, changing the way you talk about education. To listen to more great education content, please visit voiceed.ca. You know, one of the things that uh, I, I keep hearing you say, and even if you don't use the word, although you just use the word thoughtful uh, in, in a different way, but I, I keep going back to a word that we like to throw around in my school a lot, which is intentional. Mm-hmm. And in order to be uh, a no-nonsense nurturer or the kind of teacher that really develops those those uh, relationships and you call them life-altering relationships with students, it's the intention behind it. One of the things you just said actually stuck out to me quite a bit where you said that teachers may need to even plan in their lessons ways in which they're going to continue to build and maintain those relationships with students. And, um, I, you know, clearly that's not something that your average teacher is doing all the time. And of course, the no-nonsense nurturers are doing this more naturally. But hey, build it into your lesson plan, write it out and make it a, a more intentional part of your teacher practice. I think that's a great idea. Um, so we've, we've spoken a lot about the book and, and of course, you know, we're getting set to uh, enter the summer and, and I think you just mentioned this, but I'm going to mention it again. Um, give it, give it a read guys, uh, as a summer reading, you know, professional learning experience. Uh, I'll put the link to it, of course, in the show notes for this episode. Uh, it can be found at ct3education.com slash book. Speaking of CT3, just talk to us a little bit about the work that you're doing there and uh, congratulations on the success of the organization. You know, I'm looking at the website right now and I'm seeing a lot about the no-nonsense nurturer. I'm also seeing a term that I love a lot, which is coaching. There's teacher coaching, there's leadership coaching. What, what are the kinds of, of uh, 
services there that are being provided and what kind of experiences are you guys sharing then with the schools who are going through this? Right. So one of the things I recognized right away, so when we were studying what is now No Nonsense Nurture, um, we had uh, 17 cognitive coaches in our organization. And um, I had seen all of these 27 coaches do phenomenal work with teachers when it came to instructional practices. When we started uh, supporting teachers with classroom management, um, almost all of them came back and said, Kristen, it's not working. And I was like, what's not working? And so we critiqued, you know, the research that we had done. But one of the teachers came back to me and he said, Kristen, I don't think it's the work. I think it's the coaching model. And I said, say more to me about that, Ben. He said, Kristen, the teachers sit down the pre-conference and they agree with what they should be doing, but they get in the moment and they get nervous and they get scared, particularly with classroom management, because it's something they've never had really good training in. Um, and they're struggling with building the culture in their classroom. So they resort to what feels close to normal. And if I could just be the angel on their shoulder and prevent that train wreck, that would help me. And something that Ben said in this really stuck with me. And I, I didn't know what it was yet, but I, I was reading, I'd finished, you know, some uh, my work at Berkeley and um, was pretty sick of educational research, was, was reading medical journals, actually. And I read about the real-time feedback that they did for novice surgeons. And so my thought was, why can't we bring that to teachers? Like, clearly, our patients are alive and well, so we would have to be a little bit more discreet than pumping in, you know, the, uh, the sound into an operating room. But how can we put bugs in teachers' ears and coach them in real time and really help them to feel supported? And so it took us about 18 to 20 months to really develop strong protocols for these highly um, effective coaches already. But they were then able to give uh, teachers real-time feedback. And I, I do want to say it takes a lot of training to be an effective real-time teacher coach, which is what we do now at CT3 as we go into organizations and we train uh, coaches to be real-time teacher coaches, both for classroom management and also 19 other um, culturally relevant pedagogical strategies, many of which you've heard. But again, we go out and we study think, pair, shares, do nows and exit tickets, you know, um, you know, focused instruction. And we say, what are the most culturally relevant and competent teachers doing with that body of work? So where, you know, the authors of the past, you might have 12 to 15 look fors. Now we have 34 look fors that the most culturally competent, relevant teachers are doing. And we go into organizations and we train their coaches to be able to give feedback in real time, which um, is, you know, it consists of, you know, baseline observations as well as um, pre-conferences to set up the teacher for success, providing the teacher feedback in real time in a very non-intrusive um, or obstructive way while they're coaching or while they're teaching so that they feel the impact and the success and they see the reaction of their teacher, of their students while they're teaching. Um, and then it builds that, that asset-based mindset, that growth mindset of, oh, if I can do this, I can do so many more things with my students, which is what comes out in the post-conference. And we're able to share teachers with uh, data, we're constantly collecting data and show teachers their growth over time with how they're impacting, you know, their practice and pedagogy, but also their student achievement. And so it's an incredibly empowering experience. Um, we do the same thing then with, with leaders, school-based leaders. So all of our work at CT3 is at the school site. But we do real-time leadership coaching where we do leadership appraisals and assessments. And we see what are the assets of the leader of the school and then the teachers will see us follow, you know, as associates walking around, following the leader 
and they'll hear how principals are getting real-time feedback um, on how to improve and support their practices and becoming more effective leaders. Um, so the protocols really mirror each other. They're highly supportive. Um, as folks coming into organizations and supporting them in their practices, we constantly ask for feedback about our practice too. Um, so over the last, uh, CT3 is about 10 years old, but um, we've been developing the work for about 12 years. It's just gotten better and better every year because we're an organization that because we give feedback, we certainly seek feedback. So um, we do leadership workshops over the summer, which are really fun. Um, as well. And then, you know, no nonsense nurture workshops all over the country. Um, so, but our real body of work is the real time feedback for um, teachers, coaches, and leaders and, and, and school systems so that they can better support and carry on this great body of work forward without, with minimal support with us, from us in the future. That's, it's uh, fascinating. I think that uh, you guys are doing some great work and I, and I think that, um, you know, it, it is a pretty unique approach to the way that you guys are coaching uh, through that real-time kind of system. Uh, if my listeners want to check out more, I've already mentioned the website, ct3education.com. Uh, the book, again, Every Student, Every Day, A No-Nonsense Nurturer Approach to Reaching All Learners is at ct3education.com slash book, and I'll link to it in the show notes. What else do we need to know about how to get in touch with you or your organization or anything else that you would like to share with us? If you go to our website and you go to our team, you can find all of our associates. Um, we're a highly diverse organization. Um, our folks come from all over the country, and they are just the most amazing group of educational leaders and coaches that I've ever had the privilege of working with. Um, I'm just really thrilled with our team and who they are, and so I'd, I'd say definitely check them out and their backgrounds and how amazing they are and what they can bring to organizations. Um, but the other thing is, is if you're reading the book and there's something that doesn't hit you right, or if there's feedback that you have for me for version 2.0, I would just encourage you to please share it. Um, I believe in coaching. I believe in feedback. I still meet with my executive coach every week um, and will continue to do that throughout my career. And I would love to get feedback from any of the listeners that read the book, engage in um, the book and please just drop an email. And the only thing I can promise you is that it will be read and all suggestions are welcome and it'll be considered for version 2.0. If you take the time to do it, it'll definitely be considered. So I uh, just really appreciate folks engaging in the work and being thoughtful about it. And want to just thank your listeners because they're all educators. So we go out, we all go out there every day to do our very best for kids. We give our heart, our souls, our love, our time, our commitments, um, so thanks to each of them for, for choosing this work, because I truly think it's our civil rights movement of, of, this, um, of this generation. Uh, education can be a really amazing equalizer for our students. And so uh, just thanks to each of your listeners for what they do every day. Um, I'm in awe of, uh, of the teachers in this country. All right. Well, I think on that note, uh, I want to thank you for... Uh coming on and, and for doing the work that you do. Thanks for giving us the time here. And um, I really look forward to hearing about all the great stuff that you and CT3 Education is involved in in the future. Well, thanks. And uh, good luck to you as you finish up your dissertation and, and your work as an administrator, as, as an administrator, Dan. Really appreciate the work you're doing as well. Thank you very on. much. Yeah, absolutely. Have a great evening. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite way to listen. Also, if you like what you heard, 
Please recommend this podcast to other educators, leaders, friends, or anyone you think would love listening and learning. And don't hesitate to leave a positive review on iTunes or whatever service you use to listen. For more information, head over to leaderoflearning.com. There you can also find the Leader of Learning blog, ways to connect on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Voxer, sign up for our newsletter, and even how to purchase Leader of Learning merchandise. Thanks again, and remember, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a Leader of Learning.